0: that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Litmer, and for this episode I would like to turn to the 15th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. Perhaps of all of the chapters found in the Gospels, this is the most tender, this is the most loving. In fact, it has even been referred to as the Gospel within the Gospels, and while containing three parables, the chapter is actually presenting one picture, a picture that shows us so clearly the love God has for those who are lost. We might note that in the original audience who heard these parables were scribes and Pharisees, upset by the fact that publicans and sinners came to hear Jesus and he did not turn them away. As a matter of fact, when they said in verse 2, this man receives sinners and eats with them, Jesus did not protest. His response was to present three parables. Let's look at the first one in Luke chapter 15, verses 4 through 7. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which was lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Just how valuable were sheep to their owners in Jewish society. To many Jews in ancient times, sheep represented their chief wealth and primary means of making a living. They provided food to eat, milk to drink, wool for the making of cloth, not to mention the part they played in the numerous sacrifices required by the law of Moses. Sheep were exceedingly valuable, and at the same time they were very wayward and defenseless, requiring constant supervision. The picture thus presented is that of the selfless shepherd, wandering the hills with no thought of the danger or difficulty to himself, searching for the one lamb that was lost. The second parable is found in verses 8 through 10. It says, Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is such a simple story with which we can all identify. A woman lost a coin, a silver coin of great value to her. Now some scholars have suggested that in this case... The coin was especially valuable to the woman because it helped to form an ornament for her head. Evidently, it was customary for Jewish women to save ten coins and string them together for a necklace or a dressing for the hair. The jewelry then became a cherished possession, worn as the sign of a married woman, very much like a wedding ring of today. Have you ever lost your wedding ring? I have. Do you remember the frantic search and the kind of heart-sick feeling you had until you found it? Now, I'm not sure that that was the actual situation Jesus had in mind, but whatever the reason, the coin was obviously of great value to her, so she conducted a diligent search to find it. When she found it, she rejoiced exceedingly, because that which had been lost was now found. This takes us to the third parable, well known to all of us, the parable of the prodigal son, found in verses 11 through 24. This is what the Bible tells us. And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine, and he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say myself to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to be merry." The third picture that Jesus presented was that of a son. Jewish law clearly stated that the firstborn son was to receive a double portion of the father's property. That's Deuteronomy 21 and verse 17. In this particular case, it would have meant that two-thirds of the property belonged to the older son and one-third to the younger son. It was really not so unusual for a father to dispose of his possessions before he died either. So the younger son went to his father, demanding the part of the inheritance that was to be his. He wanted it right now. He could not wait. Well, he got it, and after going to a far country in no time at all, he spent it in riotous living and found himself forced to work for a Gentile in his fields feeding his pigs. The young man was so hungry, he would have loved to eat what the pigs were eating. Finally, he came to himself and decided to return home, where he intended to ask his father to treat him not as a son, but as a hired man. The particular word used means a day laborer, or someone who works simply day to day with no guarantee of full-time steady employment. So the young man who had left with a pocketful of money returns prepared to be a lowly day laborer, destitute and broke. But there is another story, however, that is part of this parable, and it begins in verse 25. Remember that in the original audience, there were scribes and Pharisees. I believe the elder son is included in this parable specifically for their benefit. The story continues with these words. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things might be. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began entreating him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a kid that I might be merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with harlots, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, My child, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to be merry and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, and was lost and has been found. What are some of the lessons for us from these three parables? What does Jesus mean to teach, and is it applicable for today? Obviously, the first lesson is that men are lost. The sheep, the coin, and the two sons are representative of this fact. Sometimes men get lost as a sheep gets lost. A sheep will simply stray off, go into the hills and not know the way back home. Perhaps it doesn't even realize that it is lost. There are a lot of people like that. They do not blatantly rise up in obstinate revolt against God. They just kind of edge away from him a step at a time. We even see it among God's people all the time. Bibles are laid aside, no study is done. Attendance at worship services becomes irregular and sporadic, and there are certain indications that the person is becoming more worldly in outlook. Now, if you mention something to them about what you see happening, some are absolutely shocked that you would think that they are less faithful than they used to be. They don't see it that way. Others are like the coin which was through the carelessness of the woman. I think of those who have the truth and yet never teach it to the people we know or try. They will be lost and will be responsible for their own condition, but if we had the opportunity to teach them and didn't at least try, we are responsible as well. And then some are lost like the prodigal son. He, with forethought and purpose, deliberately turned away from home with no thought of anyone but himself. He was going to do what he wanted to do in the way he wanted to do it, and while never intentionally trying to hurt someone, if his father or anyone else might be hurt by his actions, well, so be it. A lot of people are like that today. With their eyes wide open, they forsake the Lord and all things associated with him. They throw away all restraint and violate whatever moral law they chose. They call that which is good evil, and that which is evil they call good. Truly, in all three of these parables, lessons can be found for those who are not Christians and for those who are, and frankly, are not what they should be. Secondly, the main emphasis of these parables is not simply to demonstrate that men are lost. It is to illustrate God's attitude toward lost men. The great lesson of these parables is that God desires more than anything else that sinners come to him. We see it in the search. God's attitude toward the lost is seen in the diligent search of the shepherd and the woman. It is one thing to accept sinners who come to you, It is another thing to go out and look for them. The woman would not rest until she found the coin. God is like that. A shepherd loses one sheep from his flock. He leaves the 99 sheep that are safe and secure to look for the one that is lost. God is like the shepherd. And we are the ones God has charged with making the search. We see God's attitude toward the lost in his joy. It is a basic point in these parables of the shepherd, the woman, and the father that they were all filled with joy unspeakable when they gained again what had been lost. Think about that. I'll tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And again, in the same way I tell you there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. As we begin to wind down, let's focus on the third parable, the prodigal son. In this parable, God tells us about a young man who threw away his life and then was repentant and reclaimed. When he went for his inheritance, he was not forced to stay. His father let him go. The consequences of the son's decision were bitter. He found out that sin always carries consequences. What did he lose? Well, he lost the fellowship of his father in the comforts of home. It's sad how all these things meant nothing to him until he was penniless and friendless in a far-off country. He lost his self-respect. What a paradox that the young man who left home so full of himself, so full of confidence, should find himself in the fields feeding pigs. Things sure looked a lot different to him from the midst of a pig field, than they did on the day he left home to do what he wanted to do. He lost it all. The story tells us that he spent everything. The inheritance he had been so eager to get his hands on was gone. When all was gone, it got even worse, for a famine gripped the land. He took employment from a Gentile and was sent to those fields. He had lost his independence, his pride, his fortune, and now he cried out, I am dying here with hunger. But he came back. The first step in his return to the father was an honest self-evaluation. Verse 17 tells us that he came to his senses. There he was among the pigs, not having enough to eat. When back home, even his father's servants had more than enough. He was finally willing to face the facts about himself, and that is what it takes. No one will ever move one step closer to God without first facing up to what he or she is, a sinner, and the condition that they are in, which is lost. The second step is to make a decision. He said, I will get up and go to my father. Once we honestly face ourselves, a decision is going to have to be made. Next he took action, and he got up and came to his father. He apparently did not delay, having made the decision. No hesitation between the saying and the doing. He went, and not turning aside, nor was he tempted to reconsider. He made up his mind to go, and he went. How many hesitate? How many delay? How many tell themselves, I am going to become a Christian and then don't. How many have told themselves, I'm going to make it right, and still haven't? Finally, the young man came before his father humbly, penitent, and confessing, willing to do whatever his father thought was best. Look at the rejoicing of the father. Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for this son of mine was dead, and he has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. What about the eldest son? I think the lesson is severe. Isn't it interesting that it is not necessary to go on a long journey far away in order to leave God? A person can stay right here and do it, even act faithful, but if the heart is not right, be lost. The three parables unite in teaching that God misses even one that is lost. If we picture God as our Father, it is easier to understand. I hope you'll give careful consideration to these words. Thanks for listening.